when Sacred Plant Alliance first started meeting, we were terrified to all be on Zoom together um, back in 2020. Um, and now there's a psychedelic bar association. There are lots of organizations talking about risk reduction or harm reduction services. And, um, you know, that the MAPS com uh, conference is going to be as big as it is, uh, is incredible that that there's so much research, you know. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast, an official podcast for the Psychedelic Science Convention 2023. That's happening in Denver, Colorado from June 19th through the 23rd. My name is Keith Fifeson. On this podcast, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Ms. Allison Hoots. Allison is an attorney with Hoots Law Practice, PLLC. She has had a diverse experience practicing law, including the legal areas of employment, corporate, contract, employee benefits, tax, and intellectual property. Allison advises companies, nonprofits, religious communities, and practitioners on operations that involve psychedelics, including advising churches on the religious use of sacraments. Allison is also president of Sacred Plant Alliance Incorporated, a self-regulating organization and professional society of spiritual practitioners with religious communities dedicated to the advancement of the ceremonial use of psychedelic sacraments within the United States. She is a member of the Shakaruna Council for the Protection of Sacred Plants and the lead author of the Shakaruna Guide to RFRA and Best Practices for Psychedelic Plant Medicines. The RFRA is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It is a wonderful guide. I encourage you to download it on the Shakaruna website. She embodies the spirit of mindfulness in advocating for the rights to religious freedom and the responsible use of psychedelic sacraments. I'm honored to have Allison as our guest on the Mindfulness Experience, and I'm excited to learn more, as you will be as well, about her experiences and her insights at the intersection of law, spirituality, and psychedelic medicine. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Miss Allison Hoots. Hello, hello, Allison, how are you? I'm doing great. Hi, Keith. Wow. Well, well, you know, I'm. I, I have to say, Allison, I'm very excited that you uh, accepted my invitation to be on the show, and uh, incredibly excited that you are going to be at uh, the Maps Psychedelic uh, Science Convention 2023. It's going to be a huge convention, and you've got three uh, sessions there. So, uh, you know, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to be on the show and talk about your sessions and talk about the work you're doing. How are you? I, I'm a little tired as a mom of two and uh, a lawyer who's just maybe overly excited about her work and reads articles late, late at night, um, <laughs> making bad decisions in my late thirties. <laughs> um, but uh, so happy to be here and talk about what I've been doing in, in the landscape right now for religious use. 
of psychedelics. Well, that you have this, you have this passion, and you're really um, the reason I'm, I'm so thrilled is uh, we've talked before uh, mm -hmm. about uh, my own ministry and my own uh, desire to look at. Uh, this whole landscape, the psychedelic uh, uh, landscape and use using psychedelics as a sacrament. And you're a professional and you're an advocate in using psychedelic medicine. And you've got a wealth of experience. Uh, I'm just wondering if we can dive into some questions I've got around this because, you know, that's what this is all about. It's the mindfulness experience. And, and also, how does someone providing that experience protect participants and also themselves? Mm, mm. And that's that's where the lawyering comes in. That's where the where that's where the rigor comes in. Yeah. And because otherwise, uh, if you if you can't stay on the road, if you don't have the right guardrails and the, you know, you can get in an accident, and then who knows what what what'll happen there. But you you became interested um, in this area. Tell me a little bit about. You know, uh, what was the interest that you had with this intersection between law and psychedelics and medicine churches? What what inspired you uh, to really kind of pursue this whole area uh, and uh, make it your make it your life's work? Well, I attended a, a church that used a psychedelic a sacrament. Um, it was 2015, and I was pretty miserable in general. I had gotten all of the things I wanted in life at that time, which was the house and the AM 100 job at a law firm um, and just wasn't happy at all um, in, in that way, I think, where people predict what they want and then it's not that. Um, and I ended up having a back injury and uh, a friend said, I want you to go and experience psychedelics in this other way, in a spiritual, ritualistic way. Um, I attended this church. It was so beautiful and supportive and safe, and I felt supported. Um, and they were in process of incorporating as a church and filing for a 501c3 status. And they found out I was a lawyer, and the next thing I knew, I was on the board and I was helping with everything, um, but in a way that I was very excited to be included uh, in the process. So um, at that point, I realized there really wasn't that much information out there. You know, there were these cases that I found that existed for these churches. Um, and, you know, some people were starting to talk about it, but there really wasn't a lot back in, you know, 2016, mm. 2017. So um, I ended up researching everything I could and learning about how the, the cases that protected religious use of a controlled substance um, could inform corporate, like very boring corporate concepts, like mm -hmm. language in incorporation documents and what to say in a medical disclosure form or informed consent release document. And, you know, what, what do you say um, during ceremony and after ceremony um, that was consistent with the concept set out in these cases, which were the UDV and Santo Daime cases. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in that, in those two cases, RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, 
uh, was used um, where the claimants filed claims, mm-hmm. alleging there was a substantial burden on their religious exercise, and that um, the government interests were not being further um, by least restrictive means. Mm-hmm. And uh, the government interests in those cases, which I think are really important to acknowledge, are the health and safety of participants mm. and the government's interest in preventing diversion of the substances to non-religious uses. Mm-hmm. Now, that, so, uh, those are very. Uh, thank you very much. That's a wonderful backstory. So you really got you know sort of pulled in. They uh, they yes. <laughs> you know they just wouldn't let you out. They just so and, and it was completely get, voluntary. Yeah. But I was excited <laughs> to help. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, and then I just started getting referred. Uh, next thing I knew, I had a whole bunch of clients <laughs> doing this work. That's wonderful. I've had uh, some other uh, guests uh, uh, that have been on the show that have, um, you know, RFRA uh, 508C1A status. And you had mentioned a couple of things. Uh, can we just sort of unpack that a little bit when we start talking about the um, and and oh by the way i'd like to lift up the the book that you've written that's uh, uh also about the rfra and all the requirements around that but can we maybe yes. just lift that up a little bit uh, sure. i i do think that our listeners may wonder you know what is this thing that we're talking about we're talking about churches we're talking about sacrament you know obviously the people who might be listening to this are very cued into the whole area of psychedelics as well but can you maybe unpack that in terms of the health and wellness because that's a from my view that's a very big one specifically as it relates to the churches and the use of sacrament and the diversion of obviously the sacrament itself right um you asked a lot of questions so let me see if i can go step by step no it's all right um so First, I'm on uh, the Shakruna Institute for Psychedelic Plant Medicine's Council for the Protection of Sacred Plants. There, I collaborated with Bia Labache to work on this book that I sometimes joke was my third baby because it took me about nine months. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's called Guide to Rifra and Best Practices for Psychedelic Plant Medicine Churches. It's available for free to download. I have it printed out. I have it right over here. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> and it's it's where I give away all the milk for free. Um, but I was tired of explaining all the same things to my potential clients and clients. And this is just such an incredible tool to be able to share um, for people trying to understand some of the very strange nuances of these concepts. But um, so I just want to stop for a second and just say thank you so much for this book because it really is i mean it's i don't know 200 200 pages or so i think it's pages it's 80 something single spaced so maybe okay well i printed it out on my printer so i I, yeah (laughs) um it was long yeah it's a long it's a it's a big book it's 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 very big but it's dense such a resource it's it really is such a resource so thank you for that. And, You're welcome. And- but it's it's important to talk about some of the basics of it, which is, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm a church now and I'm RIFRA compliant or I have a RIFRA status. And, and that's not true. Um, only very specific churches in the United States have an exemption from the Controlled Substances Act to use these 
psychedelic substances as sacrament. And in those cases, it was only ayahuasca. Um, there is a federal law that um, allows for um, certain Native American churches to use peyote, but um, there really isn't anything else except for st state regulation or legalization um, that would allow someone to use it. But even then there's no federal permission unless you have a clear exemption. Um, so I, I often have to remind everyone that maybe you are a legal church, meaning you are an entity that is a church, a legal entity, um, either by organizing as a church is the language under 508, um, which can mean that you're just organized. You don't actually have to incorporate or you've incorporated under state law as a church. You know, there are different ways to do that in each state. Um, and then you are a legal entity, but you're not lawfully serving these medicines or sacraments. Instead, you may have the ability to raise a defense or file a claim under RIFRA, which is a federal law. Um, and federal, this law basically said that any federal action that creates the substantial burden will be scrutinized using the highest scrutiny, strict scrutiny, mm -hmm. using the test that I described before. Was there a substantial burden? Is there sincere religious exercise? Sincere is very important. That's a whole conversation. Um, and um, has your activity minimized the, the interests of the government. So the health and safety of participants and diversions. So there are ways in which, and it's in the book, um, you know, I, I articulate the ways that was demonstrated in the court cases. Mm -hmm. um, and then I make some additional suggestions, um, which are the best practices. Right. And your one of your sessions is going to be best practices for legally protecting sincere psychedelic medicine churches, right? Yes, yeah, so that is a workshop on Tuesday, which will be about th four hours. Um, mm -hmm. And I just saw it sold out, um, oh, great. which fun. is lovely. Um, and I'll, you know, I do lots of talks. This will obviously be a very in-depth one for four hours, uh, which I'll be sharing uh, the stage with Bia and uh, Sean McAllister, who's another attorney in the space. Um, and it's gonna be a great talk, but um, just sort of getting into the the deeper questions um around you know we'll have some reference to the guide uh, right. but also sort of like also with the shifts in the landscape which have been huge since when i released the book in 2021 mm -hmm. uh november so um a lot has happened a, a lot a lot has happened and you know there's a there's a lot of legal ambiguity uh around um you know profit for example mm -hmm. uh, on the 508c1a says you can't make more than $500 a year in profit or there's some there's some you know it's not supposed to be a for-profit organization and yet we see that there are some churches out there some psychedelic churches that are not only charging memberships but also have you know courses that they're doing and other programs that they're doing and I'm just wondering uh, you know within the religious context uh, it would just seem to me that that could be a potential challenge and there would be other challenges that these sincere psychedelic churches might face. Can you mm -hmm. speak to some of them uh, in terms of what you think might, because as you said, these aren't DEA, uh, you know, they're not DEA sanctioned, it's not legal, 
right? I mean, it's not a legal substance. Yeah, there are so many issues. Um, You know, one big one is is sourcing sacrament, um, unless you're sourcing domestically. And even so, you know, if your sacrament is psilocybin and you have to cultivate um, just or even acquiring um, ayahuasca in a way that is an integrity, um, you know, all of those things are really difficult to balance. particularly where, you know, Homeland Security is seizing sacrament coming across the border. Um, You know, uh, there have been cultivation spaces that have been raided. Um, So that remains a a consistent risk. At the same time, the government demands safety for participants, Mm -hmm. uh, which is difficult to accomplish if you don't have a safe source of the sacrament that you believe is, is essential for your rituals um and so you know that's an issue if you are a nonprofit, even if you don't have irs recognition um as a tax exempt entity you are meant to operate consistent with the rules of 501c3 um so there are a lot of rules uh it's you know corporate operations it's about profit um Right. You so, still have to keep the books. You still have to protect the sacrament and your members. Yes. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, you have to get a good lawyer to, to work on your documents. Um, and, I, you know, I think one thing that is sort of a confusion around being a nonprofit, you can still pay your minister reasonable compensation. Uh, you can still have workshops and community events things that are consistent with your religious beliefs and the purposes outlined under 501c3, which is, you know, charitable efforts, things that give back to your community. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is fine. It's it's meant that, you know, anything that exceeds what you've already allocated within the budget goes back into the church. Yeah. Um, and there's like no bonuses because you had all this profit in the year, you know, um, because it's a charitable entity that is tax exempt. So you are receiving, you know, what was the, the government calls it that they subsidize these Mm -hmm. charities in a way because they aren't paying taxes. So, um, and actually there was a case just in the last month, um, by the DC district court, I believe. And it was the church of, um, it's Iowa Oscar. So mm-hmm. Iowa, they're in Iowa and they mm-hmm. were denied 501c3 status and they appealed and they were denied and then they took it to court and the court said, no, you don't have an exemption. This is illegal activity, which is not permitted under 501c3. Um, and it's against public policy, which is probably um, one of the most frustrating cases that I've seen come out thus far. I do think that there are lots of ways in which religious use that is safe and um, doesn't use its sacrament in non-religious ways is consistent with public policy. Um, so, you know, there are these new challenges and issues coming up every month. Um, there are arrests that are happening. Um, I've heard of quite a few recently. And, um, uh, you know, there's just a lot going on in the whole sphere. Uh, just even questioning sincerity of people, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I have a question for you, which might be a, a bit challenging, but uh, it might take a, a bit of time. But um, 
uh, what are the most effective strategies for protecting the religious liberty of these churches, ensuring that the members have access to, you know, the transformative potential, but also um, have access to the sacrament. So we talk about health, we talk about the sacrament. So what are the sort of the rigor? What's the, what's the rigor that organizations should be looking at? Is there a five point plan or something like that, <laughs> that, you know, you might have in, in, in terms of advice? Sure. It's, 80 pages long and it's in the guide, but <laughs> in summary, I, I think some of the, the most important aspects of operating um, a spiritual community that uses a sacrament that makes its participants um, so vulnerable is transparency and support. Um, if you are going to offer these sacraments, you need to be very experienced and talk about your lineage, where you've learned, how you've apprenticed, um, in what ways you've created um, support for individuals who experience um, a spiritual, emotional, mental health um, difficulty during ceremony or after ceremony. Um, also, what kind of emergency procedures you put in place to ensure or not, you can't ensure anything. That's something I always say, don't promise anyone safety, but that you have created procedures and protocol to increase safety. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, just considering all the things that can go wrong. And this is, you know, the the part that's the worst about my job is is saying, well, you know, this, this could go very badly because um, as we know that there are these inherent risks with anyone taking anything from an herbal supplement to a prescribed medication to these deeply transformative, intense uh, psychedelic substances. Um, you have to own that risk and and so does the participant and that's why informed consent is so important you talk about exactly what you're giving your participants um even if it's saying you know the ayahuasca has been brewed mm -hmm. with sananga or you know with, with whatever you can share please share that because someone has to be able to make an informed and voluntary decision to participate um and you also need to say I can't guarantee you any specific kind of spiritual experience, mental health experience, especially. Um, that's not what I'm offering here. What I am offering is a ritual that is spiritual and consistent with these religious beliefs. Here are my religious beliefs. They are X, Y, and Z. Like share that mm -hmm. with your participants. Um, and to say, know that you are engaging in a risk and I'm engaging in a risk that I'm at risk legally in doing these things. I believe with conviction in these beliefs and I'm going to offer this ceremony, but I'm at risk criminally and civilly mm -hmm. by doing these things. And, and you need to assume those risks as well, if you're going to participate. And, um, as you know, icky as it could seem for someone to say, oh, now I have no rights. That's not true. You know, if a leader or um, an authorized person breaches a significant duty 
there is no agreement that's going to protect them. Um, So, you know, I think there's that safeguard. Uh, One thing I just want to mention is the nonprofit that um, I'm currently president of and on the board of, which is Sacred Plan Alliance. Uh, We've been really diving deep into basically potential harms, but also best practices of churches that Mm -hmm. use uh, an uh, altered, altering substance, a, a substance that takes you into a non-ordinary state of consciousness that connects you to the divine um, in such a deep way that you become so vulnerable. And, and recognizing that we need a space for leaders of these communities to come together and be able to talk about their experiences and address what's going well and what's concerning. And then also um, you know, to have that support network within the Sacred Plan Alliance of other leaders, but also we created an accountability system. And so all members, um, religious communities of the church, of the Sacred Plan Alliance now have to include um, some information to their participants, their members of the religious organization and say, look, if there's something that we can't reconcile or you feel is egregiously harmful that occurred within our community during a ceremony, et cetera, you can go to Sacred Plan Alliance and file a complaint that there's been a breach of their ethical guidelines. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hoping to see more in the space is additional or, you know, people reaching out to Sacred Plan Alliance, but also additional organizations that want to have this kind of self-governance because Mm -hmm. it it does, it promotes the safety, I think, of, of these practices. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's absolutely wonderful. And, and, and so many good perspectives and insights. Um, You know, um, I'm just coming out of a psychedelic assisted therapy provider program with MAPS and uh, IPI. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of cradling or sitting on both sides of the fence here, mm-hmm. looking at, and I've talked to, you know, Sanctuary and uh, G.V. Friedman and his uh, operation, and I've looked at various other areas as well. But my real concern is that, you know, there's a sort of a standard rigor, you know, that, that you'd see in the uh, assisted therapy area where you have intake and you have a, you know, a medical assessment, then you have dosing and you have the... Uh, obviously the you know concerns if something goes wrong there's a team here to go ahead and take care of whatever and mm-hmm. then you have integration which is really pivotal you know but you're able to weed out and really take care of people that might not be whether or not it's a heart issue or whether or not there's some psychological problem that would not be appropriate for the medicine you know, uh, so it sounds like that's what you're doing with the Alliance. And I think that that kind of rigor is is really wonderful to see. Those are a lot of the same things that I recommend in the religious use practices is to do medical screening. It's it's a lot of the same. And I work with um, um, individuals who provide support during journeys as well, as, and also therapists that work with different kinds of substances. And, you know, a lot of it is is very much mirrored um, that we want to see in all of these lanes, whether it be therapeutic um, or spiritual. And, you know, even in the recreational space, you know, there should be some legal treatment such that someone could feel comfortable 
saying like, I had this terrible experience with this person, even though the substance was involved and not feel that there's going to be, um, or I guess fear that right. there's going to be, um, repercussions on themselves for coming forward about it. Yeah. And I, I really believe, and I was just in a group, uh, uh you know, a, a we're doing um, a weekend uh, retreat uh, and, uh, um, you know, someone said, and I really believe it's true, that the medicine is really not only in the individual, but in the witnessing and the mm -hmm. container within the community. So, you know, often, you know, people will get, uh, a, you know, a sense of transformation, a sense of being witnessed, a sense of relief of trauma and so on and so forth, even if they don't have the medicine, you know, a sense of just being witnessed to be seen, to be heard, to be recognized, to be able to go deep and to be able to, you know, do their process. And, 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 and that's what the medicine helps with is it helps individuals work through whatever their process is. And in some cases, obviously achieve, you know, this transpersonal perspective where they're able to have a, you know, a spiritual experience, you know, a sacred experience of, uh, of, uh, the ineffable. So. Right. Yeah. No. And I think, um, I've, I've said lots of times that I think in every experience with a non-ordinary state of consciousness, there is something recreational, there's something spiritual and there's something therapeutic. It just depends which lane you're coming in from. Um, but ultimately you do experience all three. And I also know from being a helper, helper during ceremony that I've, you know, even very not altered that I do experience like a deep sense of, um, spirituality and experience, even not on medicine, um, having taken a sacrament. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, there's the communal aspect can be, you know, not psychedelic, but transformative um, right. and yeah. and very powerful. Yeah, and I think that's what Groff was talking about. Uh, I'll be mm -hmm. in his workshop, by the way. I was I was oh, one lovely. of the lucky ones to get into that workshop. I saw that sold out as well. Yeah, <laughs> and and I I work with breathwork facilitators, and a lot of it is the same in those agreements as well. You know, this is going to be an intense experience. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be altered by an external substance. Although for a lot of people, they believe that is necessary um, or is very integral to the the ceremony that they're providing. Um, but you know, there are lots of ways to access that. Lots that of ways to lots of ways to access being heard, seen, and recognized, and lifted up. You know, right. and that's, I, I think, a beautiful thing. Have you seen uh, the attitudes um, in terms of psychedelics and their potential benefits change in the legal community over the last year or so? Where, how do you see things uh, changing over the course of your career, perhaps? I, well, just from when I started working with entirely underground groups to now seeing people with websites. I mean, that's pretty mind blowing. Um, when Sacred Plan Alliance first started meeting, we were terrified to all be on Zoom together um, back in 2020. Um, and now, you know, there's a Psychedelic Bar Association, hmm. which is a really great organization for attorneys. 
um, who are doing work that touches or supports psychedelic use. Um, and, uh, you know, there are lots of organizations talking about risk reduction or harm reduction services and incredible organizations that provide those services like Fireside, um, you know, that the MAPS con uh, conference is going to be as big as it is, uh, is incredible that, that there's so much research, you know, thanks to some of the greats like Roland Griffiths and Bob Jesse um, is, is wonderful. And I do think a lot of what's happening in each area is going to support the other. And, but it's also why it's so important to recognize that we are just one big community supporting a movement and each individual's actions um, does have a ripple effect to all the others. We are working right now to change public perception. Like I said, public policy, if the government recognizes that there is good in these substances, will change the law. Um, so education, information, and recognizing that what goes in the media um, is deeply relevant mm -hmm. to perceptions. It's, it's really important, which it puts a lot of responsibility on people in the space right now. And that's good. Mm -hmm. um, this is not something to play with. I mean, recre recreationally, yes, but like if you are offering right. support right. for someone, you have to realize the magnitude of what you are doing, that this is a person with their deep, unique experiences. Um, one thing Bob Jesse told me once was that um, with anyone, there's always a possibility that something can go wrong. Um, you know, you just don't know, depending on the substance, the known and unknown medical conditions of the person, the whatever they might have eaten recently, even to whatever kind of um, emotional experience they might be having recently. And, and you have to be prepared for the breadth of that. That's right. a huge responsibility. Yeah, you, you you never know quite deep how down the rabbit hole they may go and mm -hmm. how many unresolved traumas there might be or things that might come up or, you know, I think to and where the chemistry of the individuals at at that particular point, because there is a lot of preparation, you know, mm -hmm. if you're going to go into a journey, uh, although there's a lot of mixing and matching and doing all that recreationally, I think in the much more, um, you know, in the therapeutic environment. There's a lot of rigor to, you know, preparing, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of rigor in, into going into that. Uh, I, I noticed that you were the next day you had you're doing the best practices, but you're also doing this do's and don'ts of filing an RFRA lawsuit, religious claims, use claims and defenses, legal community perspectives on sacramental psychedelic practices. And you're doing that with Martha. Hartney and Jack Silver, right? And that's yes. going to be on Wednesday, the 21st of June. Correct. The great Martha Hartney and Jack Silver. I'm um, really excited. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, can you talk about perhaps any use cases where your legal expertise was critical in protecting some of the rights uh, and, you know, of psychedelic medicine churches or its members, you know, because I'm just wondering when we start looking at those do's and don'ts, maybe there's a a couple that you can share with people who might not be able to make that uh, that particular, you know, workshop. Sure. Well, first, I just want to point to 
what work Martha and Jack have done, um, Jack being the attorney for the Santo Daime who succeeded in the Ninth Circuit, incredibly important case, um, where they were able to use um, medical data to show that there was equal amount of information out there showing that ayahuasca was safe to mm -hmm. rebut the government's medical information saying it was dangerous, uh, which I think now with the amount of uh, research that's being done that's in favor of these ceremonial practices that that there's even a stronger argument that could be presented um but you know jack paved the way there and um and martha hartney who's currently representing the church at eagle and condor and doing some really incredible work um i am mostly a transactional attorney um and i like to prepare someone as best as they can to prevent there being such a terrible adverse event that there is litigation. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's my bread and butter. However, I did I was hired to work with a criminal law attorney um, in a case in Colorado where I advised and, and drafted a lot of language around um, the rights under RIFRA. Um, as well as the rights that you could derive for religious use um, under the Colorado Constitution, despite there not being a state level Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Colorado. Um, and so we got as far as drafting a lot of this language and sharing it. Um, but actually, we, we, you know, we got very fortunate that Prop 122 passed mm -hmm. shortly thereafter and um, the charges were dropped. I'd like to hope that part of it was because of all of the hard work that we put into our legal analysis, but I also think we really have to honor the people who put in as much work as they did in, in Colorado's Prop 122, mm -hmm. uh, which did ultimately even retroactively decriminalize um, the use of these substances, possession of those substances in, in certain situations. Um, so, so the best uh, 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 hi, the best foresight is insight and, and hindsight, and you're providing it. Right. I mean, what you have in your filings, um, you know, whether it be the state filing as an incorporation, um, as a corporation, you know, in incorporating, or you know, any agreements that you share with participants that may ultimately get to authorities, you know, everything that's on paper can be used in an, uh, an argument for you, but also used against you, uh, including your website. So please, please, please look at your websites. I do a lot of website audits, um, you know, on behalf of my client to help a client. Um, and you just have to really think about every single little word that you use um, because they will use it against you. And you can look at the SoulQuest case where that was what happened. Um, and it wasn't a case, it was a, a determination. They SoulQuest used um, the DEA's, um, they have a, an application for exemption process, which, you know, there are a lot of questions about how it's being offered and um, whether it's actually viable and whether they're the right agency to be analyzing if you are religious enough or not. Um, but, you know, 
just looking to the fact that the DA really harped on the fact they, meaning SoulQuest, had registered a DBA, meaning an alternate name for their organization that used the term wellness center. And they mm -hmm. said, look, you're, you're a commercial operation. You're wellness. You're not religious. So, you know, even something as little as that, like the language, the, the name you put on your church um, mm. can be, you know, something that the government uses to take you down. Mm. Um, so, well, it's uh, that's very interesting considering uh, that uh, you know words have meaning and 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 that meaning can be taken in a number of ways, uh, you know, for you or against you, and and that's what you're helping to neutralize in the process of preparing the organization, looking at all their uh, materials that they share with their members, as well as their processes internally, their bylaws, their ability to go ahead and organize themselves and file even uh, or ready for file even if they don't file right right and i am hoping one day that you know the application process with the da is viable um mm. that someone is approved that it becomes a reality because you know in speaking to churches that do have an exemption the main thing that the da focuses on is is the diversion aspect are you keeping your sacrament locked up are you keeping records of how much you're using in each ceremony? And do you still have that amount when they come to do the audit? Um, and that's the main focus. Although my main focus is more about the health and safety to participants, um, you know, making sure that your helpers are deeply trained in um, how to react when there's an adverse event, et cetera. Um, so I think you can very um, precisely focus your operations to best prepare for this kind of circumstance where there is a felony charge brought against you or there's a threat where they seize your sacrament and you decide that you want to sue um, because your right to religious, uh, religious exercise is so um, significantly burdened um, that you then have to make a choice. Um, and that's that's what the law focuses on. You should not have to make a choice about whether to engage in religious exercise um, or obey the law. Right. So um, I want to get clear about something. I had a conversation earlier today with another lawyer who um, who told me, uh, and I wasn't aware that this was the case because I've seen uh, uh, cannabis churches before, but he said to me basically cannabis is not covered by the rfra he said because it's a commercial it's in commercial use and it is um it is uh, a state uh it, it it's state not only state managed but they're but uh, from a municipal perspective the municipalities don't recognize rfra churches specifically in terms of cannabis is that do you have a sense of that i'm just trying to i i mean I, i'm wondering if the the lawyer had his information right because uh i i mean i don't know i i've seen that there are are rfra churches that use cannabis as a sacrament certainly the rastafarians do right but, and i know some santo daime churches mm -hmm. it is you know there's ayahuasca and cannabis involved mm -hmm. in their mm -hmm. rituals um it's like a very familiar practice in brazil mm -hmm. uh where it's legal 
Um, I was not aware of that. Maybe this is an reality. awful conversation. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I was not aware of that. It's. I would say that you should be able to make a claim. Maybe they're referring to the fact that, you know, the federal RIFRA only applies to federal agents, and then there has to be a state-level RIFRA mm -hmm. to apply to state agents, which is pretty important because generally what I've seen is, you know, local police enforcement that show up mm -hmm. at a church. Yeah. Um, and in that case, if you don't have a state RIFRA, they call it mini RIFRA, which is very cute. Um, then you don't have that protection. Although, as I said, you know, one argument we were making and and an argument that developed in New Hampshire in um, a case against a, an individual named Mac, mm -hmm. um, there was no mini RIFRA in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. but he said, look, I have this, um, I think it was psilocybin um, for religious purposes and I'm a minister and this is why I have it. And he showed his, I think it was an ONAC card and he ultimately, he lost at the trial level and then he appealed and, and they said, you're right. Our state constitution protects the right to religious exercise. In fact, we think it's broader than the federal right to religious exercise. And yes, maybe strict scrutiny should be applied here too. We're gonna send this back to the trial court and the charges were dropped there. Um, so on a so state by maybe. state level, on a municipal level, the laws can be different. And I Very. think it's an important part because there are laws, let's say here in New York, where mm -hmm. you do need a state, you know, license in order to sell as well as consume. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, specifically, if you have a consumption lounge or you have a space where people are consuming cannabis. And in, in the case of uh, RIFRA, I'm not sure how that would work, but it was it was an interesting sort of sideline because I knew I was speaking with you today and I thought, oh, right. man, yeah, I didn't want to get too sidelined. But, you know, I, I think it's a I think it's a good point as to why someone would want to make sure they have legal representation in any case. Absolutely. And I'd say that that would be an argument I'd really enjoy researching and writing. Um, <laughs> because I think even if there is a system um, for licensing of um, distributing cannabis, you know, creating, you know, cultivating cannabis, um, if someone has a religious belief, that should be protected under the law. So um, I know we're we're running out of time here, and I'm just aware of that. I feel like our time has gone by so quickly. And I know you're doing one other workshop on Friday, the 23rd on the Sacred Plant Alliance, and you've already talked about some of that. I think that's mm -hmm. really very important. But I, a closing question I might have for you is, looking to the future, what are your hopes and goals for the field of psychedelic medicine law, and what role do you see yourself playing in advancing this critical work? Obviously, you've done the book, you're, you're involved with all these conferences, and I'm just wondering, where do you see things going? Because some people are cons very concerned that it would be sort of going by way of cannabis, which mm -hmm. has a much more sort of, you know, Wild West kind of perspective. It's not yet, you know, it's 
commercial and yet at the same point there are dispensaries where you do need a medical card and so on and so forth but i'm just wondering from your view where do you think this is going and you know what are your concerns in terms of how we how we get there i mean looking at cannabis is such a great example um you know where it's been so regulated that it's still not accessible for legacy growers um i think unless the regulation coming out is broad enough um the gray market will still exist and we see that with cannabis you know there are stores in new york city that have been operating for over a year and you walk in it's beautiful they've got little glass containers of cannabis they're not legal um but they are operating and they're they're more accessible a lot of time they're cheaper they're going to succeed and I think it's the same in in psychedelics that if you don't make it accessible and if you don't make it so that legacy, you know, long-standing um, individuals with lineage, with you know, decades of experience in supporting people in these experiences, if they're not brought to the table in a way that makes sense, then they'll just keep doing what they're doing. And I think that that doesn't benefit them, and it doesn't benefit the participants. Um, there are ways to enforce a system that makes it safe without making it so impossible to function inside of. And there are a lot of realities that we have to overcome. Um, we have to see medical boards recognize these uses um, that would make people with licenses able to operate in the space. We have to see more education of the public and understanding and less stigma. Uh, so people need to talk about their experiences that are positive. And I'm so grateful for those individuals, you know, particularly veterans who are coming forward and, and talking about how psychedelics have saved their lives. Um, people with opiate addictions coming forward and talking about how it saved their lives. Um, and then also people who have experienced bad trips to come forward and say, this is what went wrong. Let's do it better next time. If we don't open up that space to have those conversations, we won't get better. Uh, we won't get be better at this. Right. Um, and you know, what I'm doing is continuing to support the people that I feel are doing it right. I always look to safety and sincerity um, or and experience a lot of experience um, with the work and also, what we're doing at Sacred Plant Alliance is absolutely amazing. I can't believe I get to be part of it. Um, we're hoping to see more experienced churches reach out and you know decide to be just enough at the ground level, you know, not fully above ground, because I know that's a difficult transition to make, but to come join us and help us work together on developing best practices and and being supportive of one another and in, in this container. Um, and I'm trying to do more work with policy uh, at state level. And um, basically I just keep saying yes to things that are, you know, keeping me as tired as I am, but as excited as I am about this work. Uh -huh. Well, thank you very, very, very much for Sacred Plan Alliance, for the work you're doing uh, in leading the charge uh, in this uh, really crucial area. I think so many people have a yearning and a hunger in their soul to really connect at a very deep, profound level. And I believe that the work that you're doing allows them to do that without the, you know, without the uh, 
the majesty, if you will, of of of, of the traditional church, which can, um, for many people, be uh, very oppressive. Uh, and uh, you know, whatever their background is, I think there's room for everyone at the table. So um, I, I thank you very much, Allison uh, Hoots, for being present and for being, uh, at the conference. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you in the meantime and read up about you, um, certainly it's Allison Hoots, H-O-O-T-S, A-L-L-I-S-O-N. That's my my granddaughter's name. Uh, but uh, how would they how would they wind up getting a hold of you, and what should they look for? Oh, um, I'm on. LinkedIn. So you could contact me there as, as you and I connected there. And then, um, my website is Hoots Law Practice, which is where I'm an attorney. Um, and you can email me there. I think there's a contact form or just a hoots at hootslawpractice.com. Great. Um, and, and of course, look for your book on, uh, RFRA, uh, yes. guidelines, uh, with, uh, Shakuna, Shakuna Institute. Institute, that's right. Uh, I always have a hard time with that. I apologize with that. <laughs> no worries. Shakuna, I think I think C- a lot of people do. I, C-H-A- I want to do the hard C H A C R U N A. Shakuna, which is uh, one of the components in ayahuasca. Oh, okay. Well, there you yeah. go. I, I continue to learn even at my age. So I I thank you very much again. Uh, and uh, we'll see you at the convention, yes? Thank you so much for having me, Keith. This is such a delight, and uh, I will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We have other exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. For more mindfulness tips and tricks, visit our website at workmindfulness.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Mindfulness Experience. This is Keith Fiveson.